Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Welcome back. My name is Benji. Today I want to welcome you to the Landrum Rouge Cycling Podcast. And today we've got a solo breakaway, I'm afraid, because I'm going to have to do it alone, quite simply, because my boy's in the air. He's flying over from Australia to Europe, to which he is moving which should improve the um, the output of this podcast, not necessarily with more podcasts, but qualitative, because on paper, this is a huge obstacle that we've had for now almost a year, I think nine months, and we started a podcast. Let's dive in. First of all, let me get these damn sunglasses off, because who the hell wears that on a podcast? I can't wrap my head around it. Nonetheless, today's topic so simple. I'm going to try and take a look at the stages we had so far, and then look at GC, and look at what we have so far. And look at Chiclamino, for example, and look at what we have so far. Who are the winners? Who are the losers so far? And what can we expect in the coming few days, perhaps? That's, I hope, what I can lean into. Lastly, I'd also like to take a look at our Velo Games ranking and see what the best team is doing and who they've got in store. Bit of an in-betweener, but I'd like to give a shout-out to our sponsor of the podcast, Lecole. Uh I have never done this, so this is going to be a, a bit of me winging it. So let's hope Lacole is happy about it. They now have a McLaren Project Aero collaboration that they did with McLaren to make honestly one of the most aero things I've seen in my life. And uh, it seems to be a pretty nice kit. It it looks so lovely, quite genuinely. I think that we currently have a a bit of a a code set up with Lecole. So if you want to do a purchase on the Lecole website, you can fill in LRCP20 and it should drop X amount of percent. I'm guessing 20 from the name, but I can't promise you that because I don't know it by heart. So um, LRCP20 is the code at lecol.cc. L-E-C-O-L dot C-C. Yes, that's the website I was meaning to uh, advertise. So uh, definitely check them out. Awesome stuff. And they allow us to be making these podcasts at the best of our current abilities. So uh, awesome stuff. Thank you, Lecole. Anyway, let's continue. Let's start off by looking at every stage individually and discussing it very, very briefly. I don't want to go through every single stage recap again, but we started off in Turin. Oh, feels like yesterday. Gana winning again. He's back on top. And I think the most important aspects of this were Flazov having a consistent time trial with the one he had before. We didn't know yet whether he was going to succeed at keeping that time trial level he had, I think, earlier on in the season. Was it Arenese, I think? I think it is. And then eventually we also had an Emko Evenepoel, which I think was the most important aspect of this first stage, GC-wise, as we finally had an indicator of where he was at. We had months of preparation for the Giro that we didn't know, is he going to get to a level that is competitive for GC? And on the time trial, he showed that he was going to be relatively competitive. And I think that we didn't think, oh, he's going to destroy everybody. We didn't think, oh, he's going to fall through on day two. We thought, okay, he's good enough to compete, and we'll see where this goes from here. And I was very happy because I think that everybody wants to see someone that gets very injured come back and get to a level that he can compete for in a GC, for example, and try and achieve the dreams he wanted to do at the start of his career. And I love to see that. 
a man on the same team performing really well. I think that Yates and Bernal had a very decent time trial as well, not losing too much time at all towards the other competitors. And I think in the end, this time trial did make a few differences, but it probably won't make the biggest difference towards the end of this Giro, because I think at the end of this Giro, we'll be talking about minutes and not five seconds of difference. Some losers on the day, though. Dan Martin, for example, Buchmann. I think Ciccone lost a lot of time on this stage, but he's been trying to make that up ever since, that's for certain. Second stage, then. Sprint stage. Ewan was not in a good position, and we know from talking about it 20 times before, if Ewan is in a good position, he wins the stage. If he's not in a good position, somebody else wins. And somebody else won this time. Demet Lier with a wonderful sprint and showed that he's one of the fastest sprinters in this race if there is no uphill section before the uh, last 30 kilometers, because that seems to be his significant weakness at the moment. Peter Sagan sprinting decently, which means that he's going to be fighting from this point onwards for Ciclamino, the entire Giro. Then on stage three, we had Taco van der Holm time, which was arguably the most surprising stage win so far, as in the terms of the stage winner, because I didn't expect Taco van der Holm to win a stage in the Giro, neither did anybody at the end of last year's season, but everybody's really happy that he does it. Taco uh, Taco Tuesday in Australia, was it, right? I think it was Monday in our time zone when he did it. Either way, Sigan and Chimolai trying to set something up, Sigan getting points for Chiclamino again, but outside of that, nothing major outside of knowing who can climb well from the sprinters. I think Nizzolo was looking relatively weak for climbing, which is weird because in the past I'd say the different, the opposite was happening, but in this Giro, he doesn't seem to be at top-notch climbing ability. Vianne and Gavidia climbing much better than expected. Ewan climbing, honestly, terrible. And I think that he's lost all his climbing form from uh, Caleb Ampaggio. That That's not seen in this Giro so far. And will not because he abandoned already at this rest day. Anyway, stage four, Sestula. We had Joe Dombrowski winning that stage from the breakaway. The market taking the pink jersey. And Attila Walter moving up very, very sneakily, trying to come for that prey. But I think the most important noticeable things in that stage was the downfall of my podcast pick already on day four. Ha, oh, horrendous. Joao Almeida, from that point onwards, we knew Avon pulls the leader here because he held on relatively on that stage. I think he lost like 11 seconds on that stage, which means that is pretty good in my opinion. And then we saw some differences left and right. I think the biggest differences were Hindley falling through completely, a Sivakov falling through, and those names not really performing well. But also George Bennett already falling apart on the fourth stage, which means that, well, they also decided to have false space for him in the last section, which I still don't agree with personally. I would have kept him as right now he's on two minutes and 20 seconds in GC after 10 stages, while... Uh, Bennett is, I think, like 10-15 minutes behind. They should have uh, trusted Fosmore. I did. Next one, stage 5, Modena to Cattolica. Caleb Ewan winning because he was in a good position. And outside of that, Nizolo getting second again. Oh, it hurts. It hurts so much. But the saddest part of that stage was at the back with Sivakov crashing, first of all. And eventually finishing the stage, but then not continuing the day after, which is a loss for Ineos, and perhaps balances out the, the team qualities at the top of GC a bit, but still very sad for the race. I enjoy seeing Sivakov ride, and he seems to um, 
have bad luck on his side. I don't know whether it's bad luck or whether his bike handling is not tipped up, but I just generally can't tell you. I haven't looked into it that closely yet, but another big loss for the Reigns that day. Mikkel Land, after looking great on Sistula Stage 4, no more in the race. Very, very sad. Heavy crash, but eventually the outcome was not as bad as we were anticipating the moment we saw him lying there. So I'm glad that it's recoverable and that we can see him race hopefully in the Vuelta perhaps. I think that's a viable option. I think the tour might be too soon to expect that. So I would not put that on paper here. But those were the two biggest losses of that day. Very unfortunate for the race. And we'll feel it, I think. I think we'll feel that Landa's not part of this race. Both because he's not going to lighten up the GC stages. But next to that also that the Bahrain team around him is going to be much more free. And that is a perfect segue into stage six. Because who won an Ascoli Piceno on the San Giacomo climb? Not Giacomo Nizzolo, Gino Mader. Gino Mader winning from the breakaway, taking a bit of revenge, even though it's not against Roglic, so not really for that Paris-Nice stage. Egan Bernal getting second, Dan Martin and Evenepoel finishing off the top four. Evenepoel holding on to Bernal, unable to really fly past him, and a lot of Belgians were suggesting, oh, he's saving energy on purpose. Could be on this stage, but... If that was the real plan, then he wouldn't have lost time on the further stages. So I don't believe that. I think that Avonpool is performing really well, but he's not necessarily saving energy because otherwise he would not be sprinting for one second and an intermediate sprint again. Bernal, let's be real about that. Ciccone performing really well on that stage. Caruso as well. Daniel Felipe Martinez still up there in GC. Could play a very, very important role for Bernal in the coming two weeks. I don't know in what form yet, but I expect it. But... Most important thing of the stage, according to Belgian media, Evenepoel in pink, but no, 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 no. Attila Walter comes out on top, takes Amalia Rosa after the uh, sixth stage, the Hungarian, first Hungarian to take it. And it shows that, well, if you got a cycling training cap in January, then you might as well put some cyberpunk gaming sessions in there because it apparently gets you the Amalia Rosa. Now, stage seven, we've got a flat stage. Second time, Caleb Ewan. Good position, perfect finish. And he'll at the end, you know, with a good 1.2k to go. Next to Ewan winning, nothing big here except for the fact that Domenico Pozzovivo, GC rider, did not start that day. The next day was stage 8. And this finish was the breakaway stage we expected, but not necessarily the people that we expected in the breakaway. We expected Victor Lafayette to do so. That was my podcast pick for the stage, but I... Still believe the break would be larger. I think we would have more climby riders on the stage. And eventually we had a break with half-decent rulers as well. With Campanarts, for example. With Elevera, with aren't good rulers as well. Which means that the difference was not made on the climbing section to make the breakaway. It was made on the descent. And that's what makes this happen. I think that LR had a good point about that in the last week's. Great explanation if you want to go back. I think it was set on stage 8 as well. But GC-wise, nobody really cared, let's be real. I think that um, all in all, everybody came to the line pretty safely. No one was really scared of losing time on that stage. And on stage 9, that was differently. Because we had that gravel section at the end. The entire stage, we had relative control from, well, the break, first of all, not really getting away. Then FDG trying to keep the gap relatively close. Not sure why. I think that they just wanted to keep up a nice tempo. 
And then towards the end, it started closing down, and Ineos was like, let's try and use this. Let's try and use this, and let's try and hammer it. Eventually, the winner of the stage, Bernal. Nuclear attack, I'm going to call it, because we forgot to call it on the last day. It's not necessarily thermonuclear yet, but I still think it's very noticeable that it was a great performance. I think 500 watts for the last minute, 580 watts for the last minute. Pretty great performance, let's say. Chikone coming second, Vlasov in third, Remco Evenepoel in fourth, crawling back towards the end. He apparently had a bit of an issue in the tunnel, but looking back at the clips, I looked at the point where they entered the tunnel and where they left the tunnel, and he lost like one or two positions. So uh, I don't think that's going to uh, move the needle here. I think that he lost the biggest amount of positions, perhaps unknowingly, in the first part of the gravel section when Johnny Moscon put a crazy attack on the last gravel section, launching away Bernal. I think that Vlasov was a bit too early with his move there, perhaps, but he still crawled to third on that stage, and he's looking really good for this Giro as well. He's definitely not counted out yet, but a lot of people aren't. Let's go into that uh, after we talk about stage 10, which was Sagan time. The final kilometer was uh, perfect, but not only the final kilometer, because the entire stage bore a build the victory of Sian. They prepped it from start to finish, and that's what makes this victory so beautiful. That it's a team performance, not necessarily a one-man army. And Peter Sian just finished that off. Thanked all his teammates individually on Instagram. So awesome by Peter. But um Gavidia, tiny mistake in the end, but Sian was also very strong. Nonetheless, I think from this stage onwards, we also don't have too much important stuff to say. I think that we again got a clear view of who are the sprinters that could plow a bit and could get over these hills but that I think won't play too much of a role anymore because I think we've got one more sprint stage to come on day 13 perhaps I think it is but I don't think it has any hills in that one but my memory could be uh, messing up here I think the next step what we're going to be doing is taking a look at GC first Egan Bernal 14 seconds down at Emko Evenepoel Vlasov on 22 seconds we've got Ciccone on 37 the Hungarian Walter on 44 seconds, Yukafi on 45 on the sixth spot, Cruz on 46. They're all close together, right? That's crazy. Then Martin on 52 on eighth, Samaniates 56 seconds down on ninth, and Formulo closing down the top 10. But I'd like to add the following names to that as well Martinez still 11, Von 113, Soler still on 121. Let's say we have a rainy descent somewhere and the Peloton doesn't feel like doing anything, and suddenly Soler pops up out of nowhere Romandy style and gets a few seconds again. He's back in the top 10, so it can still all happen. Nibali, don't believe he's gone up too much in these rankings in the coming weeks. He crashed again the other day. What's the point of staying on 213 on 16th if you know that there's so much that can happen if you lose 10 minutes and put yourself in the breakaway and try and go for a stage when instead on one of the mountain stages, I would love to see Nibali try that, but... That's just from the love I have for the shark, of course. Next to that, I think that those are the most important names. I'm surprised to see that Tarame is still on a 17th spot within the two and a half minutes marker, together with Foz as well. And Johnny Moscon as well, 19th. Really strong performances this first 10 days by the Italian. Nick Schultz also performing really well so far. Was not uh, perhaps disappointing, just like Almeida. But um, I think that's the overview for GC. What can we see out of that? I think that Bernal, Evenepoel, Vlasov, and so forth, all in contention for GC. Chicone is a bit of a meh one for me. 
I think that his climbing is definitely up there. He's definitely up there to do something. I expected at the Giro preview for him to be the leader for the team of Trek. And the time trial just scares me, man. He lost almost a minute on an 8-kilometer time trial. What will he do on a 30-kilometer one? That's He's going to lose like three minutes. Ooh, let's hope not for him then, because that would cost him a lot. Hugh Coffey on six still. Time trial not amazing, but also not terrible. So he still perform really well in stages like Zonkolon. That's what I'm waiting for with him and Vlasov. And Bernal. I don't know what Bernal will do on Zonkolon. Neither do I know what Evenepoel will do there. I'm curious, genuinely. Dan Martin, really consistent so far. His time trial is where he lost a lot of time. And I think that's why he's on eighth. If his time trial was better, he would have been in the top five by now. Because he's been doing relatively well. Samanye is still in contention. Don't forget about him. Ninth right now. He could be doing the opposite as the pass. And the pass, he always went a bit too hard in the first stages. And eventually, it all fell apart by the end. But I think that perhaps this time around is different. First two weeks, perhaps a bit inconsistent. And then the third week, when the real mountains are there, Simon Yates could come out on top. You never know that. It could still happen. Formula in 10th position. Looking forward to Montalcino, but I was kind of disappointed of his performance on the gravel section, I think on stage 9, personally. Martinez is going to play a key role for Bernal. I don't know how yet, but the way they use him on stage 9, getting in the early breakaway, forcing the other teams to pace back that breakaway. Genius plays, and I think that's going to play a role. But for the rest of the riders, there's still a few out there. Bardet and Solero are still close. I think that's really where it ends for me. I don't think Buchmann is within the margin of winning this Giro anymore. I could be wrong. I, I'm just a guy on the internet throwing out my opinion here. Bail Bilbao on 327, he's gone. Almeida's gone, in my opinion. 456 down. Masnada 6. Those are working for Evenepoel, certainly. Honestly, Jai Hindley, 428 as well down. Working for Bardet, I think. I'm expecting that at least. So, that's my view on GC right now. I think that a lot of the coming stages are going to change quite a lot, but it's just so close together and we can't really say, oh, this person, nope, impossible to win. Only person in there that I skipped was Attila Walter, and that's because despite being a hardcore Walter fan and enjoying what he's done so far, I don't believe in a top five for Walter in this zero. I, it's going to be tough to stay in the top ten. Top 15 would be where I expect him to fall through. But then my question is, if you're 14th at the end of the Giro, is that good enough to go for GC? Or would you decide to uh, not go for GC and try and go for a stage win on of the upcoming stages? I I wouldn't know what to do yet. I, I don't know. I think that top 10 is really where my border is. If it's not in the top 10, then who's going to remember it? Me. And is that enough? I don't know. It's a decision he has to make and that the team has to make and I look forward to see what they'll do. I think that's roughly what I've got for GC. Uh, I think that is my opinion on it, I guess. I think that we're going to see a lot happening in the future. I think that Montalcino will change a lot of the uh, standings here. I don't know how much though. Imagine if it rains, it could be a lot, but if it doesn't, then it could still be a lot. Next up, I'd like to take a look at the Montalcino stage of tomorrow because, well... It's one we've all been looking for from Perugia to Montalcino. It is having four categorized Serato sections, which means that we've got gravel slash sandy sections. That's what Serato's mean, by the way. 
if you're pretty new to the concept of these kind of stages, because this basically only happens a few times per season. I think Strada Bianche is uh, the outlier, the one that everybody looks forward to as one of the stages that has a lot of Stratos. We also have some other races like Paito and Trobroleon. Trobroleon basically being, yeah, off-road sometimes. It's not even just gravel anymore. And then we look at Pahitur, and that's more the uh, the gravel area as well. So really intriguing. It's got all these types of extra races. I think Gravel and Thor as well is a, a race in, I think, Australia or New Zealand, one of the two, in which we also have a, a situation of combining gravel with asphalt. So anyway, in the end, that is uh, where this happens. And it's also happening in the Giro for the first time. Well, a proper full stage of dedication towards it for the first time like, since 2010. We obviously had some gravel sections in other stages in the last 10 years, like Stage 9, for example. This is different. I think, I don't know the exact amount, but I think it's around 30 kilometers of Serato sections, which is kind of mad. I think it's more actually 40, 45, probably. We start off basically halfway to stage in regards of that. The first section has a tiny bit of uphill, but then descending. I don't think the first sector is going to make the biggest difference. I think that we're going to see uh, the massacre happening on the second section, first of all, because that is the Paso del Lume Spento. It's a climb, including a gravel section on it, which is going to make it harder, like, obviously. And the gravel sections themselves are not necessarily the worst sections, but... Combining this with uphill, that's what makes it difficult. Look at Strada Bianche. And I think that this second section will make a difference, certainly. If a team pulls through on that one, it could be a very, very interesting race from far out. I'm curious whether Ineos would be uh, wanting to go so early. And I think that would be cool if they did, but it would also be very ballsy for the team to do that. Anyway, the third section is closer to the finish line after the Paso del Lume Spento. We've got a descent towards that section. And we have a bonus gate at the start of that section. So, weird. I don't know. The way these bonus gates have been placed in all these Giro stages, I've got some questions with them. But I guess, yeah. I'm not sure it's going to uh, influence too much. The break might still be ahead at this point. We don't know that. But... Knowing that the peloton will likely put some pressure on that earlier section, then I still believe that we might see something happening there. All the way, the rest of the stage coming up, is it worth it to go all out sprinting Remco versus Bernal or something on that intermediate sprint once you've got two Sterado sections after it, one being just after it, including a section of one kilometer at 6.4% as well in that fat section? Then we go uphill on a plateau section and then we descend towards the last section that is with a good. 20 kilometers to go that we start at, and it's at the uh, bottom of the other side of the Paso de Lume Spento. And we go on to that same hill, and it's 9.2 kilometers at 4.5%. Not the steepest one, but it is going to matter. And then we've got a small descent to the line. So this could make a lot of differences in GC. This could drop somebody over a minute. We don't know that. It's very possible. A puncture on these sections could be very bad as well. I, um, I'm looking forward to it. I think that the riders I'm mostly looking forward to, I said it a few times already, Ineos, I want to see what they do on this parkour. We've been saying for weeks that this is the ideal parkour to hammer it on, definitely with the team they have, genuinely. And 
Johnny Moscone in that team is of goal and value for this stage. And I believe that he's going to put something upside down. I think losing Sivakov has an influence, though. He was pretty high up in the Strava KOMs for this section after the recon. So he must have uh, been pretty hyped about the stage. I think that outside of Ineos, I'm really curious who actually uh, did a recon and who didn't. I know some other teams did recons. I know that Formulo's team, for example, certainly did a recon. Um, I think that there's a few people in the race that also have mountain bike history, cyclocross history. So all that can come into play. I think that Quickstep did a recon as well, to my knowledge. Ciccone lives in the area. I think that Ciccone might be a good call for a stage like this as well. Was really good on uh, the previous stage we had. And he could benefit of the fact that other people look at each other. And that could play a role in him getting a bit of a gap and actually getting away. And if he does, you never know what he can uh, achieve on this stage. I think that in regards to mountain biking skills, I don't know that for every single rider. One I do know it for is Attila Walter, but on the other hand, I don't consider him a uh, potential candidate to win the Giro. So I don't think this really matters too much. I think to win the stage, there's a lot of chances as well for the riders with cyclocross history. Quinton Hedemans, for example. I see him doing something on this, for example. Um, oh, there was another name I had in my mind, but I completely forgot. Also with a, with a cyclocross history. Johnny Vermeers, yes, yes, yes. At uh, Alps and Phoenix, that team will probably try and get as many people as possible in the breakaway. If not, Johnny Vermeers, you never know. Will a breakaway succeed on this stage? Oh, they can, you know. It really depends on how the race is ridden. And I think that a lot of people will try to go in the break with a Johnny Vermeers, with a Quinton Hermans, those types of riders. But in the peloton, they're really going to push through on these sections. And if it ends up raining, which at the moment, I think it was 50% chance if I looked yesterday, but I'm looking as we are speaking right here. It looks like it's going to be raining tomorrow. Ooh la la. 55% chance of rain. Oh, amazing. That would be so good. Ah, is it 55% though? I think it's between 30 and 50%. But I, I'm praying to the rain gods right now to uh, make that happen because I think with rain, this could be a, a complete massacre. Hopefully not with too many crashes, but hopefully just mud going everywhere and stuff like that. If rain does not happen, it could still be a very good race. So don't don't cry if it's not raining, for example. I think it's still going to be a good race. Have I thought about the fact that the stage could be uh, completely overrated? Sure. But the anticipation of a stage is just as fun as experiencing it. So we might as well anticipate it as highly as possible right now. That's how I view this. Ah. I think that's roughly it for my view on what can happen, really. How good is Avonapool going to be? I don't know. I honestly don't know. I know one second of him going over a, a gravel section. I think he fell in a copy of Bartal a few years ago. But does one crash on a gravel section define your skills on a gravel? No. Hirschi's crash in descending last year's tour doesn't define his descending skills either. So I, I have no clue. His gravel adventure by Remco the other day was good. But that's like 1.6 kilometers. So what does that say? I don't know. Ah, It could all just play out on positioning as well. If you come to a section, you're not in a good position and you might be you might be fucked, you know? And Martin, stuff like that, he, he is not the greatest at positioning either. If he's not at the front of the section, he can also be dropped behind. Simon Yates, same story. I think that that's going to play a big role in these sections. 
I'm just looking forward to it so, so much. I'm going to ask you as well, who's your pick for the stage? If it's a breakaway and who's your pick if it's a stage? I think for me, it would be great for my Velo Games team, but Moscon would be nice. Um, but uh, that's unlikely because I'm expecting him to work fully from, for Bernal here. Unless it becomes something like the 2014 tour where Nibali went over those cobble sections and still had full sang there and Moscon could be the full sang that he was for Nibali, but now for Bernal. Does that sentence make any sense? I don't care. I'm winging it today because I'm alone. <laughs> anyway, I think that um, that's roughly it for my overview of this stage. I'm looking forward to it. What's your picks? Who do you think is going to win? I think I was pretty vague on my pick basically because I don't really know. I would love for a Belgian like Vermeers or Quinton Hermans to win this, but there's so many possibilities that this stage could go to. I'm just hoping for a good race and I'm hoping we can come out of this with a, a very, very interesting discussion tomorrow night. For the last thing of the video, I want to take a look at the current leader of the Velo Games, and that is uh, 420 with the team Big Boy Almeida and his entourage. The person involved has a team of Almeida, Evenepoel, Ciccone, Dan Martin, Viviani, Cavagna, Gana, Galopin, and Sagan. I think Sagan and Viviani have been gaining a lot of points on these sprints. Sagan by, uh, first of all, getting consistent top threes and the top five there and the top seven there. And then eventually he also won a stage. Viviani did not win a stage, but was very consistent in close results, explaining the 619 points that uh, are held there. Cavagnau at 177 in there, Gano at 382. Those are the two time trialers he had. And Gano's gained points for the Maglia Rossa as well. And then uh, Tony Galopin has been the lowest points. I think that Ciccone, Martin, and Evenepoel will be gaining points for the entirety of the rest of the Giro. Same for Almeida, but in lesser form, because Almeida having that one bad day removes him from GC, which means it removes him from trying to get very consistent top 20s in stages, and that will lose him points. It's unfortunate, because he's also in my fellow games team. But all in all, very, very good performance. I think it's all very, very close. I think I'm even competing pretty well in this, because I think my team is like 316th of the entire Velo Games League, so around 17th in our RCP ranking, which is kind of mad. I think I have the benefit that only one of my riders has DNF so far. That's Tim earlier this freaking morning. Really fucking sad. Attila Walter performed a lot for me, personally. I think the one rider that disappointed a lot of people so far was Jefferson uh, Alexander Cepeda from Androni. He was a rider that everybody thought oh, he could do well. He could get a stage somewhere. Zero points in this game so far. And I think that he might still change that. But before this Giro, he said he wanted to try and fight with Bernal and Evenepoel for the white jersey. The man's not even getting outside of the Gruppetto these days. So I hope that he can find a way to get his form from Alves back. Because this is not the way to fight for white with Bernal and Evenepoel being, I think, in our bag by now. Nonetheless, we won't roast him too much. I hope that he performs well in the last week and a half. He's still got the chance of getting a stage win somewhere if he finds his form back. I um, generally can't tell you where LR's team is. I think it's not doing too well. Yeah, I'm afraid it's not doing too well. I think that he had Landa, which obviously is pretty bad. Uh, not picking Landa, but the stuff that happened to Landa. I think a lot of people had Landa. I think a lot of people also had Champoussin, who DNF'd. Uh, Melina now as well, who DNF'd you in that DNF'd. So, so many people that are DNFing in this uh, show that a lot of people picked. And 
it's going to cost people, unfortunately. Sivakov as well. But all in all, I think that's the overview of Velo Games. For the second rest day, how do you want me to like overview this better? Because I feel like I just looked at the first person and I'm not sure if that's even interesting to listen to. Uh, what else would you like us to say about it? Uh, stuff like that, because this is also pretty new for us doing a Velo Games uh, leak and thus kind of covering it is also pretty new to us. But I think that's also roughly it for the podcast here. I hope you enjoyed this solo breakaway of mine. LR should be back tomorrow once again as he... Uh, I just got a picture of him being in the Singapore airport. So that's pretty cool. Nonetheless, he's still far from Andorra. So a long way to go. Nonetheless, that's it. Hope you enjoyed it. And uh, I guess we'll see you next time. Ciao. Mom deserves the best. And there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. 